All right, welcome back to an episode of Rose and Balls, taping this Sunday, June 12th. Um, so obviously we got a dead day today, right? NBA land. Um, just want to touch on a few things. Obviously the big thing, let's, let's get to it. Celtics dubs, um, 2-2. And not, not surprising, right? I, I still think, and again, I try to be objective about this. Uh, well, first of all, I got to check myself. Obviously I'm a big Celtics fan. Obviously I want the Celtics to win, right? Going into these finals, if I were a betting man, and maybe this is just because I'm, I'm a little bit pessimistic, uh, I would have thought the Warriors were, were going to take this series in six. I thought they were um, they were going to take both in, in Golden State. The Celtics maybe take one. They're down 3-1. Okay. Boston, they get a throwaway game. Then, uh, you know, uh, maybe it, maybe they get one Tatum game where Tatum goes off. They're down 3-2. And then they lose the series four games to two, Golden State being the better team. But this series, in a way, uh, probably one of the storylines of the Celtics throughout these playoffs, minus the first-round matchup against Brooklyn, um, is these teams seem to have uh, a lack of offense against them. And to me, is it a lack of offense, or is this just one of the more incredible defensive teams uh, in memory, right? So, you know, in the Miami series... It was this notion of struggling for offense, right? Where, like, Butler's really the only guy that could get going. He rode in and play. Uh, and the Celtics tend to play towards their competition, right? Like, even if they're – like, I thought they were significantly better than the Heat. But – and this is something they're going to learn. Uh, they really played down. And, and as a result, really, they almost cost them the series, right? Butler, miss, you know, if he hits that three in game seven, who knows? Fine. Um, but they were climbing the whole game, and then uh, Miami made that comeback. So here in Gold State, it seems to be a similar thing. Only instead of Jimmy Butler, we have Steph Curry, right? So obviously, Steph Curry has been playing out of his mind in this series. And, like, look, it could be part of the Celtics' plan, maybe to wear him down, like like in a boxing match. Uh, they're going under on screens and, and really holding pretty well everywhere else, letting Wiggins shoot, letting Green shoot, take advantage of that. Um, and then going under on Curry, right? On the flip, the way they've adjusted a little bit on Curry is they, you know, when they are able to play Robert Williams, which has been a luxury for them, but but he has played uh, 25 plus minutes recently. Uh, then he, you know, he gives them really that interior threat that if they let Curry drive, all right, try to beat me there. Well, Curry's been playing the chess match quite perfectly, hitting these little floaters, these little pull up jumpers in the lane at a, at a great efficiency. So the question then becomes, like, how do the Celtics adjust to Curry? And I think the answer is they can't really, right? You're not going to stop Curry. So now you just have to limit everyone else. You really got to stay home on Clay, right? I think he obviously requires a lot of attention, and he's going off a little bit. And that's hurting them. And then just not turn over the ball, right? And, you know, the question for me is, like, and I thought about this throughout, is... You know, in game one, the Celtics survived uh, an unreal first quarter by Curry. I think he had like 21, right? And then it's kind of like a boxing match. He's not going to be able to keep it going. You know, he's getting, he's wearing down. And he couldn't throughout the three quarters. Celtics make the comeback and win, right? And, you know, a few other games, Curry has a good game, right? And it's not enough, right? The Celtics won, um, you know, the other night, game three, rather, they win. Uh, because, you know, he has a good game. Curry has to have a great game. Like, 
not even a great, like a, you know, NBA Finals moment type game, like what he had in game four for the goal, for Golden State to continue winning. Now, the other factor here is Draymond Green. So one of the most interesting things that happened in game four was the Warriors sat Green for that significant portion of um, crunch time and Green on his own podcast was obviously plus minus. I didn't even look at plus minus. I don't need to. It was obviously very negative with him on the court, right? They're, they're daring him to shoot. He's not helping them as an initial spacer. He's not putting them on the boards. So like, what is he giving them, right? Wiggins at least slashes and is an incredible defender. Wiggins on his own right wears down those opponents, wears down Brown, wears down Tatum. They're just a lot younger. Curry, you know, his age has to show at some point, so they're going to get to this boxing match with him. Fine. We know this. This isn't so original, but I do believe in watching these games. Boston has been playing better, right? They're up for majority of the game, and the question is going to be, like, how their maturity shows. And, you know, it, it shouldn't have to be this. In order for the Celtics to win the game, they got to play really well for four quarters, right? The way most teams win, honestly, when you're, like, a veteran team and you learn how to win, is you probably play good for two and a half quarters, but you 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 execute down the stretch. That's the biggie. And Boston, throughout this playoff run, right, hasn't, with the exception of the Brooklyn series, hasn't really done a good job of playing well in the last six minutes. Uh, I'll say game one they did, but they, they really blew the doors in the beginning of that, and then it wasn't a contest. I want to see game tight, and then you make some big plays down the stretch and you execute down the stretch. That's going to be tough. Can they win close games? They still haven't, again, Brooklyn series being the exception. I need to see that done. I still think Celtics are going to win. I don't think they have the, this is so, this is a weird team, right? They do not know how to close in a series, you know, in anything, right? And I, Milwaukee, what, went seven, they went on the road, right? They're down three, two. They kind of only win when they need to win. So they know they need to split on the road and they tend to do that. And then, at home, they don't go for the jugular like the really good teams did, like the Bulls, right, and and a veteran team, right, like Utah did against the Lakers in those series in the 90s. They don't go for the throat kill, which you have to do in the playoffs, right? If you're up 2-0, you got to get that chance to go up 3-0. I mean, it, it's then the other team's got to win four in a row. I mean, it is. You don't come back from 3-0. Only, only the Red Sox, uh, plug alert, did that against the Yankees. In any of the four sports, hockey, it's a little, I think it, it happened. But up 3-1, also, you know, Golden State obviously blew that lead, right? there. But, like, it's very hard to come back. So the other team is always going to play desperate. I don't care who you're playing, right? It could be the Celtics against the Detroit Pistons, right? The Pistons are going to play the game of their life. Everyone's going to, you know, go balls to the wall. And as the opponent, you have to match that. And they need the ability to do that, right? So being tied 2-2, they really got to – they don't let Golden State – Go up in this series, all right? Because Golden State is smart enough, and they have enough deep talent, and there's enough extra they could throw in a game. Okay, I mentioned Kaminga and Moody before the series started. They they haven't been in the rotation, but you know there's enough guys on that team that if you give them a little light, someone can have a night, and that's all you need sometimes. So, not the best approach. I I, I if I'm a betting man, I do take the Celtics. Uh, in Game 5, I actually think being in San Francisco will help them. But, again, I would love to see a scenario where, you know, the game's close and, and, and they win. They don't need to blow out teams. It's just not realistic. But they are the better team. 
like they're just better. They're, they they have more depth. They have more two way talent, right? The Warriors and I like these guys, but you're talking about the finals. The Warriors have to rely a little too much on Otto Porter Jr., Nemanja Bjelica. These guys are getting little ten minute stretches, right? Andre Iguodala at this age, you can't. Gary Payton Jr., you can't, right? And and even Green, Green is almost. We'll see, but he he's sniffing with unplayable, and and I think the Celtics have exposed. Him. Fine. I want to switch the attention to the draft a little bit, um, and and talk about you know the rumor mill, uh, namely the Utah Jazz, which you know people have uh, you know now there's rumors swirling with, with Chicago, what the Jazz should do. I'll give you my thoughts on Utah. So. The Jazz are doing the right move, right? I, I think it's real rare. You have exceptions, and I'll bring them up. But, like, sometimes you have a team that's kind of run its course. And the job of the GM, and this is why new GMs are able to do this. Ainge did it once with the Celtics. They've run its course, right? And usually the way a team has run its course, I think it's three years, okay? Where, like, you give a team three years to really show, okay, what they could do. You build up some chemistry. Maybe they get a lucky one year. Maybe they get a lucky in a series. There's a buzzer beer, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, the Jazz, I think it was three years in a row, couldn't get past the second round, right? And that's usually the sign. Like, if you're not getting past the second round for three years in a row, that's something. If it's conference finals, right, there's actually some tweaks I think you can do, okay? But when it's and, – and teams need to get over that hump, right? But – when we're talking um, three, four years of doing the same kind of song and dance, I can't get to the the finals or even get to the conference finals and make that stretch. Now you got to make some changes, right? So the Jazz best year, in my opinion, and I think I mentioned this in the past, was not this current year, last year, right? It was still the second year of the pandemic. You had some fluky injuries. And look, they had Mike Connolly out. I get it. But the Clippers had injuries and the Suns had injuries with Paul and they they couldn't get past the hump. So it's run its course. The things that they've realized are as following. One, and this is a big deal, is, you know, Rudy Gobert, when you're able to really game plan in a playoff series, you know, these centers who can't defend on the perimeter, I don't care how good of a defender you are and on the interior, if you are... If you really can't get on the perimeter and, it, and it's a disaster when you're on the perimeter, you are unplayable in a playoff series. We have many examples of this. DeMarcus Cousins is a Golden State. And you're going to say, Ethan, he was already bad at that point. Yeah, but he, because of all the injuries, he needed to be played. And even he was unplayable at that time. He was still giving them something at Golden State. There was a lot of hubbub when he joined the roster, if you recall. Right? Where it was like the rich got richer. Well, not really with him. Okay? Jonas Valanciunas. Most recently, couldn't play more than 25 minutes, uh, even though he was putting up good numbers. You know, again, with pick and roll, Chris Paul was was uh, completely eviscerating him. And even DeAndre Aiden, these bulky centers, again, can't get on the perimeter. He wasn't getting that many minutes either. So, it, you're, you know, look, Mitchell Robinson and these guys, you could play, but you have to be able, and Mitchell Robinson, I think, can. Robert Williams is showing that he can. You have to be able to get out on the perimeter on the switch. So if you're in an island with the point guard and the pick and roll play, you know, is it a disaster? 
It needs to be decent, and I think it's quite good with Robert Williams, but it needs to be decent. Val Chunis mints me, right? It's over. And that's the case with a lot of bulky bigs, right? I mean, look, it is really hard to cover a point guard if you're that size and that girth. That's just, that's just the nature of reality. So, you know, the Jazz with Rudy Gobert, and, and like, look, a lot of the league knows this. Um, I think in general, the NBA, you don't want to be the team holding the bag that is the large contract of the centers that are a problem to play in a playoff series. But here's the difference. In the regular season, they're fine, right? Teams don't game plan enough. They tend to play their same rotation, right? If if people played each or people are able to game plan for each game like it was a playoff series, maybe there's a difference. But again, Rudy Gobert, you, you look at the regular season accolades and they're there. All-star, okay, effective um you know, one of the top defenders of the league, you know, perception is reality, right? He almost wins defensive player of the year. So, you know, and some teams, their goal is like, they're not there yet. They're, they wish they were the Jazz, right? They wish they were the second round team. And in order to do that, you got to get a top four seed. And in order to do that, you have to have obviously a good regular season and some good interior defense. So a team like Chicago is a fit for Rudy. And this is what the rumors have been, been talking about. And it makes sense, Okay. The Bulls, I think, with if they're gonna, the Bulls need to do their own domino. If they're gonna give Levine the max, which, again, per NBA, he should get. It's very rare to have a wing that shoots that well, and can take his man off the dribble. Right, can create offense for himself and others. Defensively, he can get there. He's not. I mean, he's not great defensively, obviously, but at least he has the size and, and you know what not to defend and the athleticism. So, with that being the case. If you're going to sign Levine, and then you're going to have DeMar DeRozan, and Lonzo Ball's coming back, right? And then you have AO, you know, and all these other guys who are rooks who played well. You know, you're going to need some defense. And I think that that was exposed in the Milwaukee series. So the Bulls know this, and the Bulls would love to get Gobert, right? Now, Ainge taking over, I think he needs to do a rebuild in stages. He can't do it in one false swoop. And I can make an argument either way, right? The reason why is, and that, and first of all, let me take a step back. In order for the Jazz to rebuild, or even revamp, they need to trade both Gobert and Mitchell, all right? Like, just trading one isn't really going to do anything. You still have the other, and you're still going to be competitive enough where you can't rebuild. And the, really, the best way to rebuild is, is not only getting youthful assets, but, you know, um, playing those assets, which probably means you're going to be one of the lower teams, but then you develop by getting a, a great draft pick in the top four, right? It's a huge difference. I always say this of getting the first, second, or third pick in the draft versus getting seven, eight, nine, ten. Look at the Bulls. The Bulls are like, we rebuilt because they were in the lottery all those years, right? They got four years of the seventh pick in a row. No, you didn't. You didn't rebuild because you kept getting the seventh pick. So you weren't bad enough to get the top four, or, you know, and now in today's lottery system, you have to be one of the four worst teams to even get a chance, right? So with all these teams because of the play and looking to win, you have an advantage now. And by the way, next year's draft, 2023, is supposed to be good. If you're the Jazz and your age, you might need to, you want to take advantage of this draft. You know, moving Gobert and Mitchell is probably the best way to do it. But again, Mitchell signed long-term. You know, and the, and the bigger question for the Jazz, but I'll get to Mitchell in a second, actually. So let's talk about the Bulls deal, right? If you're Utah, 
you know, I, I think this is the package they're trying to put together. It's basically um, Vucevic, and it's Patrick Williams, Kobe White, and they have the 17th pick, right? So, if you're the um, Jazz, and Danny Ainge is going to want two of Williams, White, and the 17th pick. And those assets aren't created equal. Williams has got a little more weight. Kobe White in the 17th pick. I think he at least wants Vucevic and Patrick Williams. And the Jazz are going to be like, we're not giving you two out of three of those. And they're end up going to, I think, settle on Vucevic and uh, Patrick Williams. Now, I'll say this out loud. If Ainge, gets, if Ainge just gets that, he did a great deal, okay? Because I think Vucevic... He could then showcase Vucevic is not a winning player. So even if Vucevic is on the team, they could still they might still lose him and Mitchell. It could work, there's spacing, but you showcase Mitchell. Right? So let's say you do that. Because now you got Mitchell and a bunch of and a bunch of guys who could shoot in space. It's gonna be better for him. But I'll make the argument. Okay. Assuming um, he at least gets that. It's great. If he gets anything more, it's a massive ripoff for Chicago. And, and again, perception is reality. You know, uh, the Bulls GM, Arturus, GMs, you're always trying to, like, extend your life. It's like politicians and stuff. You know, I find it kind of repulsive in terms of some of the moves these GMs do are, are subconsciously or consciously absurdly selfish, right? I think if the Bulls did such a move, it's in no way in the benefit of the future of the franchise. The GM is doing it. Because he was in the running for executive of the year. And if the Bulls make a top four seed and make it to the second round, he could win that award. And now he's secured his favorite Chicago Pie signs a long-term deal. And will, at the very worst, even if something happens there, get another job easily. So now he's secured job security as a GM in the league for at least 10, 15 years. Right? Not easy to do. Okay? And that's his incentive. If I were running the Bulls for the sake of the franchise, not for my own sake, I tell them, you know, first of all, like I do move Vucevic, yeah, but you know, again, I move him, um, you know, for a younger talent. I try to get a little younger, right? I probably, you know, there's a lot of steps I don't do, so there's a whole another what if there. So let's say that gets done. So now the golden goose is Mitchell. And if you're Danny Ainge, you could take this a couple of different ways. You could wait on Mitchell, which he'll do, because now his value's going to get pumped up. Gobert's not there. He's going to have more room to roam on the offense. He's going to produce a lot better, right? Um, and you could wait until you get a really good deal. And then you can use the second half. You get that deal. And you can use the second half to, to tank, if you will, right? Now, I personally think the golden deal is is is, and there's a lot of these, Right, what team is it with? Right, whatever. The golden deal. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. I will tell you right now the likely deals, but then we're gonna eventually get to a golden deal. We're, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back um, at the end of the end of this. But yeah, stay tuned to hear about what this golden deal, if you will, is. All right, so what what is this golden deal? What what are, what are the Jazz potentially thinking? So we, we again just to debrief. So obviously the the Gobert, the Bulls, that that's a home run. Okay, I, I think something like that does get done. Uh, the Bulls just seem too motivated, and it's going to be this like you know Ainge, you know 
I don't know if he's got a great rotation around the league, but but I, I do believe there's something there. Fine. All right, so let's discuss what this, you know, what, what can happen with Mitchell. So I'll, I'll make a couple of predictions here, and I'm sure, you know, I'll be wrong. But here's what I believe, okay? Um, or, or let me take a step back. If you're Ainge, what you're waiting for is you're waiting for the golden package, right? Now, he used to have it when he was with Boston, and they had Tatum and Brown, we heard all the rumors, right, when Butler was available. Paul George, Anthony Davis. It kept on going around to Tatum or Brown or both. And, you know, this kept, you know, this kept on being a theme, right? You know, this all looks like Kyrie Irving. You could you could partner both together. And, and Ainge was patient. He didn't, you know, unleash all these guys at once. And what was better for it. But he's clearly willing to do it. Obviously, in 2008, the way he got Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen was dealing two chips. He dealt the fifth pick for Ray Allen, which was Jeff Green, and Big Al Jefferson to get Kevin Garnett. So he's been on both sides of it, right? He's also, you know, done it where he got rid of the big three and he did the rebuild through Brooklyn with multiple picks and, and, and all that. So he is quite um, aware how to do this on either side. And here's gonna he's going to want the rebuild package. So what you typically want in a rebuild package, and I think – what Ainge has learned is, I don't know if you want, like, an insane amount of picks, but you definitely, you know, I think need to get picks for the next couple of years. So I think he's going to want draft picks. And then he's going to want youth that, that could fill in um, and play, right? And a combination of those things. So Mitchell, I don't think, is going to be one of these, like, Drew Holiday deals where it's just, like, four picks and that's it. I actually think, I don't know if, they look good on paper because it's just such a gross amount of first-rounders. But they're all late, right? Like, look at Milwaukee. Milwaukee actually did quite well on that Drew Holiday deal. They're going to be – they're young. Giannis is young, right? They're going to be in the conference final second round or, or better for a long time. They're going to be a beast of the East for a long time. I don't know if, you know, it's four first-rounders. I get it. I don't know if that's so crazy. The reason why the Celtics-Brooklyn deal worked well because Ainge knew – that um, the, the, the you know, Pearson Garnett, and I think Jason Terry was in that deal. Uh, he knew their shelf life was was not a long time. So Brooklyn jeopardized four years for at most what he saw was two years of, of them being decent, which was the case. So how is that related here? Well, and what's the lessons learned? So let's go through who could possibly be it. So for me, here, here are the potential suitors in a Mitchell deal. And again, it's not going to happen now. This is at the trade deadline in 2023. So I know we're future gapping this, but if, but Ainge is going to think this because I'll explain why. I think it behooves Ainge to lose next year, right? And that's the purpose of this. I don't think, and again, he'll gauge, but if the team, if Quinn Snyder is going and, and Mitchell's a little disgruntled, he also needs to worry about Mitchell's value decreasing, Right. So if, if, if Mitchell's souring a little bit, he might need to unload him in order to rebuild quicker, right? Now, I, I'm not a fan, I, and I say this a lot, like there's no while there's no rush, there are years where the draft is better than others, okay? And if you know your team, you, if you know you want to rebuild anyway, you 
want to either do it quicker or at least wait when you know it's going to be a good draft. And next year's draft, and the next few drafts, because of the new, you know, I think 18 rule, what have you, are supposed to be quite good. They're supposed to be really good. So, you know, especially if you get multiple picks, it's even better. But obviously, I think you don't want to lose out, right? And, and like, again, right, if you had a top five pick of 2003, that's a lot better than a top five pick, you know, in Anthony Bennett's year, right? The years matter. Ainge knows this. At least I think he does. So let's talk about the suitors. Let's talk about potential here. So first of all, the teams that would go after him are kind of in a similar situation as Utah, right? They're teams that are a Mitchell away from contending and have assets that they could, you know, um, kind of cash in for Mitchell. Utah's problem, I don't want to mention this point, was they cashed it in already. They cashed it in, in the Mike Connolly deal. They deal the picks, Grace Down, who was, you know, a young player for them at the time, just to get Connolly, and it wasn't enough. And now they probably have the worst asset cupboard, to quote Yosef Shamir, my old podcast bud, the worst asset cupboard in the league, right? Trent Forrest, who is probably their best asset on a rookie deal. Everyone's over 30. Even Clarkson's over 30, okay? So they really don't have any young assets. So they just need to replenish that, right? And, like, look, a strategy could be revamp and showcase. I get it. We don't have to jump to a Mitchell deal potentially, right? If they got Vucevic and the team's flirting around the sixth seed and Patrick Williams looks like another young talent and you could quickly flip him and get a piece, all right, maybe. Unlikely. Unlikely, in my opinion. We're going into the assumption, and I think it's a fair one, Quinn Steiner leaves, the team is souring. They're probably flirting with a low playoff seed or play-in, right? Um, And... I think in that scenario, they probably move Mitchell, and they probably dump Busevich, by the way, again at the deadline. He gets traded again. That's that probably for, you know, maybe 50 cents on the dollar, but, you know, someone's going to pick him up that um, wants to make a run. So, by the way, my early prediction on that team is going to be Sacramento. We'll see. I don't know. That's a wild, way, way off. I don't know. It could be a random team. Let's talk about Mitchell. So, I'll throw out some suggestions here. So one suggestion I have is the Denver Nuggets. And I think, but there's a huge if here. Michael Porter Jr. needs to come back. He needs to be healthy and look really good, right? Then they got a shot. Why? Porter Jr. still looks like a prima donna. Um, doesn't look like the kind of guy that could help Denver really contend. But if if they're healthy, which is a huge if, and Murray's back, look, that team could be a top four seed. So you're taking a top four seed. The West is wide open. Gold State just won it. I get it. They're beatable, right? Even the East is open. It was a little fluky, right? Brooklyn should be healthier, and that could change a lot of things. But, and again, there's a lot of ifs. That, to me, um, you know, does seem like a a logical team here. It, It really does. It just... You know, Michael Porter Jr., remember, his value was sky high before he got injured again, right? So this is a big if. But for those that don't know and, you know, need to be reminded, um, Houston, when they were dealing Harden, really, really wanted Michael Porter Jr. And the way it was going to be a three-way using Bradley Beal. So Michael Porter Jr. is one. And, again, like the argument is, you know, Denver, when the games get tight, 
they're going to have a, a, a lineup of Jokic, Aaron Gordon, Mitchell, and Jamal Murray. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, and you will Barton there and, and or Dorgier. All right, you can improve that slot a little bit. But it's a good start. I mean, like, that that could really – that might be enough. A Jokic-Mitchell-Murray trio in a playoff series. Um, I mean, and again, like, I, I say this too, to, to back Denver up. You're the Denver Nuggets, right? Like, I, look, everyone in the NBA talks about the big market teams. If you're a small market team, you got to go for these kind of swings, right? Kudos to the Bucks for doing the Drew Holiday deal, help them win the title. You need to go for these swings. Phoenix went for Chris Paul, right? The Lakers, they can get free agents, right? And they also go for those swings anyway. So Denver, you can't play it so safe. Oh, Michael Porter Jr. might be something. This could be your window, and that's it, Okay. You need to take advantage. You need to strike while the iron, the, the iron uh, is hot. Fine. Okay. Um, another team I'll throw out there. I don't think this is going to happen, and this is a big what if. The Brooklyn Nets. So, look. Simmons' value right now is in the toilet. All right? So, there's no chance. And he probably can't. I'm actually going to take that back. Brooklyn is not a, a chance. His, his his value, Simmons' value, needs to get back to the Sixers level. I think it's a DOA. Forget it. Okay. I'm trying to think because I want to unveil my, my my big idea last, and I don't think I'll be able to, unfortunately. Um, but there's a couple other teams that could take this risk. They could go crazy, right? Um, they could do packages. They could do picks. Atlanta's an interesting one. Atlanta's got DeAndre Hunter. They got Akungo. Um, as a package builder, is that enough? Probably not. That only works. First of all, it's, it'll be a crazy team. Like Atlanta would score three thousand points a game. I mean, they would have Trey Young, Mitchell, Collins. You know, like who's who's defending? Um, which is a fair point. So I don't know if Atlanta makes sense. That's a scenario um, that only makes sense if Mitchell's value really goes down. The only other team that I believe people were talking about Hero of Miami, I think his value is not great. I, I I think it's what year four, year three. He didn't evolve enough. He didn't really make that jump enough. I, I don't think Utah does that. It just it wouldn't make any sense to me. That's not good enough. There's better deals on the table. I wouldn't do a hero deal. Right? Now, I even if Mitchell tries to force his way, again, the Jazz have him under contract. So it just wouldn't work. So I don't think that's up there. I, I don't think that's feasible. I know people mentioned Miami. It just doesn't make any sense. The other team, I got to do a big reveal. Now, the teams that wish they could, again, it's Brooklyn wish they could. Uh, the Sixers wish they could. I don't think Maxi's value is there. They would have to do Maxi a part of the big package. Unfortunately, they gave up that package in the Harden deal. Any picks are going to Brooklyn now. They don't really have young assets outside of Maxi. It's not going to get it done. Okay? The only other team. Now, the other teams I could sniff it. I'm going to keep continue going because I, I want to do the big reveal. And I don't want to, you know, blow the load too early. The other team. Sacramento. Right? Again, I don't think it's going to That's not the reveal. This is the fake reveal. Right? There's actually two more fake reveals. I'm going to mention them quickly. Sacramento, look, fourth pick, Davian Mitchell, and future picks. If I'm Utah, I actually probably do that. I actually, I don't, I probably don't take the risk. I'm nervous. Mitchell wants to go to a big market. Now, the flip is Mitchell's going to be disappointed going to Sacramento. 
So that probably doesn't happen. But I, I, I trust... If I can get four, I need to get a lot. I need to get like at least three picks. Give me the swaps in between the years. You got to max out your future firsts for me. And I don't think Sacramento can. He might, they, you know, again, I don't know if it was in the Sabonis deal, but I need to max that out. And you get Davian Mitchell, the fourth pick, and max that out. The reasons why that probably doesn't work is because with the fourth pick, you're hoping to get Jaden and Ivy. And then now you're starting with Ivy and Mitchell. You're already starting with awkwardness, right? That's tough. That's a tough fit. And then Sacramento is going to be good enough. It's one of those things. You got up the picks. They're still young. This isn't like the Brooklyn deal again with the Celtics big three. There's not going to be those two or three years where the team is bad. Okay? Again, remember, the Celtics got Jalen Brown and Tatum in those years with the Brooklyn pick. The pick is going to be good. It's going to be too good. That's the problem. Fine. The other team, not this is, again, not the big reveal, but a, an interesting one. Two more interesting ones right before we get to the big reveal. One is Toronto. I think Toronto could put together a package. They were the seventh sixth seed, right? I mean, um, they were, sorry, the fifth seed. And, again, I do think that team, seventh seed? I forget what seed it was. They lost to, um, who did they lose to? This is great. Oh, they lost to the Sixers. Yeah. Um, I think of the five seed then, right? They definitely have immense talent. They need a, like a score in crunch time. Scotty Barnes is fantastic. I don't think he needs to be in the deal. I don't think Siakam needs to be in the deal. That becomes a problem. Like, is OG and Ananobi, again, multiple picks. You know, maybe Gary Trent Jr. has to go. Fred Van Fleet might have to go somewhere. You got to put together a package. Work. I think AG Scotty Barnes in that deal, and that kills the deal. Now, obviously, now you could make an argument. You know, if you're Toronto, do you still do with Scotty Barnes? I don't if I'm Toronto, and he's not going to get that kind of talent. Okay. So it's not Utah. Scotty Barnes is too good of a piece. That needs to be the piece, right? I don't think, you know, Chris Boucher in a sign and trade, right? Trent Jr., um, you know, OG Nanobi is going to get it done, even if OG gets you the seventh pick, and that's the seventh pick, Fred Van Fleet Jr. Not, not enough. Just not. Just not enough. Fine. Then what is it? Right? All right, well, I'll tell you. What about Memphis? Again, not the big reveal. Big reveal's coming last. Memphis, can they put a, together a package around Desmond Bain? Ah, uh, again, Bain's probably not enough. You, you, you know, they have Bain. They have. They do have a lot of their firsts, but they got rid of some uh, in those deals. <sighs> not really enough. Bain is not enough. You need in between Barnes and Bain. It's not enough. All right. Here's the big reveal, and it's reason why we connected this all the way back to the finals. Because look, if you're realistic, you're the Golden State Warriors. You have a shelf life on Curry. The Celtics are exposing it, and again. This is only if the Warriors lose the finals. But if the Warriors lose the finals to the Celtics and their objective, I think it's going to be tougher for them to get out of the West next year. Right? You know, Suns are still there. They could revamp. I think if they do the right Aiton deal, the Suns are there. Memphis looked really good. They're only getting better. The Clippers, if they're healthy, are going to be a threat. The Lakers are not a threat. So I'm not going to include them. But if they're healthy in the playoffs, that's interesting. Okay? But... And then Minnesota's rising. So between Memphis, 
really the big threats are going to be, in my opinion, Memphis, the Clippers. If Denver gets healthy, Phoenix, four teams, four threats. And it's going to be a lot tougher for them to repeat next year. They got to be um, realistic. And they have the most fair, best package available. They have a lot of players. So between Jordan Poole, James Weissman, Moses Moody, and Kaminga, there is a package for Donovan Mitchell that exists, centered around Jordan Poole. And here's the beauty. I think both teams can get what they want, right? I don't think the Golden State Warriors need to give up their top two assets, which to me are Poole and Kaminga. Should be Weissman, it's not. Kaminga is their second best asset, which it is. I think Poole, Weissman, and Moody, I don't know if you're throwing picks or not. I think that gets it done. And I think that the if you can do that, if you're Danny Ainge, you do it. You're, that's the best young Italian he has, Jordan Poole. And he's a point guard. It works really well. Let's flip it. Why for Golden State? A couple of reasons. A, you still keep Kaminga, and he actually makes a lot more sense long term, right? Moody with Poole there and Clay still there is a little awkward. That's one. Second, Weissman, it's a gamble. But Weissman still has some value. He could have no value really soon. You got to play him a lot. And he, and and they learn this. Subtext to play him a lot. You got to lose a lot to develop Weissman. Because if he doesn't work out, it's a really big issue. Um, you know, he really gets played off the court with, with you know, some of the defensive switches. And that's a big risk for Golden State. And his value could, could go like a rock. And now you just got to compare Poole to Mitchell. Well, here's the thing. Mitchell is got higher IQ, more playoff tested, playoff ready, right? He would allow Golden State and, and Curry and, and Clay to really take time, nights off and, and really dominate the offense. You had him in a series. If you had Mitchell instead of Poole in this series, it's over. Golden State clearly wins. He really gives them a step. Poole is not even that playable in the series. He was great in the regular season, but I think he's a ways away from being impactful in the playoffs. You know, and, and and that's the case that's happening right now. He hasn't really been, you know, and he can get there, and the Warriors need to be patient with him. But again, if you're not winning with him, then why would you think it's going to be easier for you when the road is tougher next year? So I think this kind of concept makes sense. This construct makes sense. Only if the Warriors lose. And, like, look, I'll be honest with you. I would still do it if the Warriors won, if I'm Golden State. Because I'm, I'm an objective GM, and I realize I'm probably not going to repeat next year, and I want to max and squeeze Curry and Thompson as much as I can. The only way to do that is to have someone that alleviates the roles for them. They play less over the course of the regular season. They take more nights off. I'm still a top three seed in the playoffs. Again, right? Poole was able to do that this year. I don't know if that's repeatable because they're only going to get older. But... If I get Clay 50 games, Curry 50 games, and I'm still top four seeds, I got Mitchell. It's amazing. And the Kaminga can still develop really well. You still have Kaminga. You still have your picks. I don't think you're going to get a better offer for, for the Jazz if I'm Ainge, and I think Ainge will be silly to scoff at that. He does a rebuild in one full swoop, and then Weissman plays as a backup center, right? You try to develop Vucevic, and then Vucevic you get rid of at the deadline for the best bidder for a first-rounder. And now you're losing, but you have Poole, Moody, Weissman. I got three potential long-term starters. That's pretty good. I, I obviously get rid of the other guys, Bogey, Royce, right? Yeah. 
and I get picks, and I, I, that's a that's a team I can roll with. That's a future I could build around. That to me should be the plan for the Utah Jazz. You get an exciting star, right? It's a great rebuild, but we'll see. Golden State, I don't think does it. I don't think it happens. I think there's a lot of faith in their youth, <clears throat> and my problem is. A lot of people have a lot of faith in the youth. You can go a lot of ways. But in order to develop them, you have to play them a lot of usage. And, again, with especially with Kawhi and Paul George next year, like, Golden State's going to – these years, these pandemic years have been have been fluky. Okay? That's the lesson. Phoenix saw it. They won the West. They thought they were going to win the title. No, not this year. Milwaukee, same. Don't take advantage. Strike it while it's hot. That's the message. Let's hope the Celts win. Let's just hope.